Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head to head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So on Monday... Vicky made us go out to play, but that was three days ago. And where once were warriors, there's now a snake of the Pliskin variety as John Carpenter and Kurt Russell team up for the very first time in 1981's Escape from New York. It's not the future we wanted, but the future that happened. Once a great city, now a high security prison. Designed to keep society's criminals in. But now, everything rides on getting one person out. The survival of the human race, Briscoe. Something you don't give a shit about. Kurt Russell stars as Snake Plissken in John Carpenter's science fiction action classic, Escape from New York. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Putters. You now have the option to terminate and be cremated on the premises. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Why were you shaking your head? <laughs> I hate you. I was trying to do my What's big intro. I, basically, I've clearly said this is the first time John Carpenter and Kurt Russell teamed up, and it's not because Chris went, mm, oh, no. He silently oh, the shamed me. Of the Elvis thing. He was shaking yeah, his head like Elvis, my Elvis movie together. Damn it. Even I knew that. All right. So I didn't know that. It's all right. Is it? Yes. I don't know. It sets a really bad precedent for the start of this episode. <laughs> you with your arms folded, shaking, you but have, Why have you got your arms folded? <laughs> I'm just bit, you can't I'm, be cold. I'm, just going I'm, not, on? I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Well, I mean, are you though? Because really, this is why you come here every week to go, that's wrong. Uh, I'm sorry, that's wrong. You got it wrong. Let <clears> me tell you the truth, the real fact. <laughs> So don't pretend for a moment that you're like, no, no, I'm disappointed. You'd love it. Right, the Warriors versus Escape from New York. Chris's choices. Remind us why. 
because uh, I bloody love them. Because he bloody loves them. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like these are two films I had on my list separately and it wasn't until a reader or a listener said, put them together that I realised they'll yeah. go together and if you are reading the podcast it is best to uh, just stick those headphones in no thank you thank you for reading this <laughs> we are going to be releasing every episode as pros uh, so look out for that <laughs> little pamphlet coming through your door we've got your addresses see I got something wrong as well we're all good oh, oh yeah. that was big yeah and did, did I bring it up Yes. <laughs> right, very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, if you'd be kind enough to do that, it's massively helpful. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, it's hugely, hugely appreciated by the three of us here on ClashPod. If you are able to give us a little rating, that's awesome. A review is even better. And if you do leave us a review, you may have it read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly. It sounds like this. I kind of wish I hadn't picked this review now this week. Okay, oh, here we go. really bad. This oh, review oh. is an oldie, but a goodie from Rav concerning the Joker show that we did. Really enjoyed the podcast regarding the Joker movie comparison in particular Chris's encyclopedic knowledge of film certainly gave me a different perception of Heath's character I cannot stop thinking about his potential military background and subsequent PTSD keep up the good work team is that the review so no thank you thank you Rav I genuinely think that might be the best review we've received end that's the end of that yeah Okay. I think we swap who picks the reviews from now on we'll just alternate I'll I'll be honest we need some new ones guys Mm -hmm. so if you're listening don't don't make me go back and pick ones about myself. <laughs> so if you're listening, so did you just ask if someone listening right now is listening? Well, unless you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I meant. You, you set a bad precedent now. It's all about picking up each other's faults. Any mistake is going to go noticed. It's not my fault you made a mistake. <laughs> See, <laughs> just let it go. Leave it. Let's move on. He's loving it. So on Monday, we got the train back to Coney Island, but today we're feeling flush, so we're getting a cab around Manhattan. Get in and let me take you on a journey. The president is aboard Air Force One, which inexplicably people keep referring to as a small jet. Anyway, it's about to get a whole lot smaller as it crash lands into the maximum security prison that is New York City. All the wrong'uns are here, driving cabs, staging questionable off-Broadway productions. It's like, well, it's like New York City. Anyway, a dude with an earring asks a guy with an eye patch to get the president, but he doesn't want to. But the dude with the earring makes him because of the suicide squad. (laughs) So eye patch guy, aka the name Snake, wanders around New York, gets the president, has lots of conversations about an important map showing where some mines are, then leaves and escapes without needing to use the important (laughs) map showing where some mines are at all. Then everyone is happy, an earring guy asks Snake if he wants to work for him, but Snake says no, he doesn't want to. Also, the president plays the wrong tape during his big speech and looks embarrassed. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) for your consideration, Escape from New York. Histories with this movie, Chris. About the same as The Warriors. Watched it when I was about 15, thought it was really cool. Watched it a couple of times since. Still think it's really cool. All right, V. I'd never seen it. Mm, Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. It's a double. I had at least heard of it. And I I recognise Kurt Russell and the eye patch and all of the sort of the iconography of it, but I'd just never seen it. Had you seen Escape from LA? No. Okay. That would be weird, honestly. To to go in that way. (laughs) No, oh yeah, I've seen the sequel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I saw Escape from LA first. Right. um, So that is a bit weird. But Mm. I have watched this once before, but only about 10 years ago. So I never saw it as a kid. So I watched it about 10 years ago. Uh, Yeah. I was sort of not massively thrilled about watching it again for the show because I was like, yeah, 
<laughs> it speaks volumes about what I need in a movie. I think that I was like, do I like Escape from LA more? Because it's like bigger budget. There's a tidal wave <clears throat> they surf. It's sort of, it looks more expensive. And there are elements that as we go through this, I do think maybe Escape from LA does better. Yeah, crucify me now. No. I'm saying it. It's your opinion, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so my opinion is that uh, this is uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell's first collaboration. <laughs> so I'll tell you a little bit about uh, the backstory to this movie. Carpenter originally wrote the screenplay for Escape from New York in 1976. Uh, following the Nixon Watergate scandal, he was like, the whole feeling of the nation was one of real cynicism about the president. So he wants to make it, but no one's interested. Uh, people said it was too violent, too scary. And too weird. Uh, He had, in fact, been inspired by Death Wish to write this movie. And initially, it was just a straight-up action movie. So he puts it to one side because no one wants it and goes off to make Halloween, which changes everything. So off the back of Halloween, he signs a two-picture deal with Embassy Pictures. The first of these films is The Fog. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's a very good episode of this pod where we cover The Fog and The Mist. You should listen to it if only to hear Vicky's reaction to that ending. <laughs> Have you recovered yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't, I feel I feel embarrassed when I think about it because Chris explained it really well. I'll leave, a, I'll leave a review about your <laughs> skills and helping me see the other side of certain scenes. Like your yeah. theory is excellent. Um, hmm. My reaction was very instinctive, perhaps. I'll say, yeah, primal. <laughs> So his next film then, John Carpenter's next film for Embassy Pictures, is going to be the Philadelphia Experiment. (laughs) This was a bit of an eye-opener for me because obviously he's nothing really to do. He's got an exec producer credit on the final Philadelphia Experiment, but the first draft, which went through numerous remarks before it came to the screen, so he's got nothing to do with the script really. Uh, But that was his movie initially. Yeah, he pulled out because he said the film didn't have a third act and they they didn't seem interested in... coming up with a third act for it so he said I'm not doing it yeah he was uh, I think the biggest suggestion they had was like why don't uh, the sailors uh, that were affected by this come back and kill everyone he's like did you watch the fog <laughs> <laughs> literally just did that <laughs> did that movie uh, so like I said it was originally going to be a straight action film and then Carpenter realised it lacked the craziness and you touched on this on Monday's episode Chris it lacked the craziness that people from New York would expect <laughs> from a movie like this so he brings in his friend uh, Nick Castle, a.k.a. The Shape from Halloween, to write up the script with him. He gets a co-writer credit. Casting-wise, uh, the film's finances are like, uh, love this, Charles Bronson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Death Wish, so no. Uh, or Tommy Lee Jones. Yep. That's who they wanted. They asked, for... they offered it to Tommy Lee Jones and mm. he turned it down. I mean, you could see a Tommy Lee Jones Snake Plissken, couldn't you? Definitely. And probably more than you could Kurt Russell at the moment because Kurt Russell was desperate for it because he was the guy from the Disney comedies. Uh, yeah, how did... How did um, John Carpenter know him? They, they just met in a bar or something. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would. They thought they made a film no, together. They talked about collaborating together for a while, and they're just, just a happy coincidence. Because it looks like it does look like an obvious choice now. But mm. when you think kid star in Disney movies, and he was a very good Elvis, neither of those <laughs> things would lead you to. Be, no, that was, I mean, <clears throat> neither of those things would lead you to believe he could play Snake Plissken. No. Mm-hmm. No, I mean... And, it's a big leap of faith. Reading the titles of some of the Disney comedies, you're like, oh, do you remember when Disney made comedies that were called things like The Horse in the Grey Flannel Suit? The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Yeah, that's one of his. The Barefoot Executive and The Strongest Man in the World, which is undoubtedly better than The Toughest Man in the World. It's not. And The Barefoot Executive, we should do. It's about a monkey who runs a company. 
Definitely. Sold. Uh, so Carpenter didn't want to cast Bronson uh, on the grounds that A, he was too old, and B, he was a bit worried about having a big star in the movie, which is, it sounds kind of clever on Carpenter's front. He was like, if it's a big star, I won't get to make the movie I want to make, and this is going to be kind of weird. And if a star's like, nope, not doing that, it's going to scupper his plans for the film. So obviously... Um, just as a point of reference, Carpenter would go on to work with Russell subsequent times. Uh, the Thing, listen to that pod. And Big Trouble in Little China, listen to that pod. Uh, just promoting this, the pod within the pod here. I know you're already sold. So um, Russell describes the character of Snake Plissken. Uh, and this interested me purely because of one of the movies I've never watched, but I've seen the video cassette as a child in my local video store. So he says it's a, Snake is a combination of Bruce Lee... Uh, Clint Eastwood's vocalness, Darth Vader, and The Exterminator. Mm. Have you ever seen The Exterminator? I've never watched it, no. no. So it fascinated me. I yeah. started reading up on this. I know I know what you mean about that video cover. It's, it was frightening. It was so it was scary and yet looked shit at the same time. So it's a Death Wish ripoff, but even more violent than Death Wish. It's about a guy and the cover. That you, I, I looked at it and I'd see this was much later. It was, so this was after Terminator when I was looking around the video shop. And I was like, that's a Terminator ripoff. It wasn't. It was way before Terminator. It's a guy holding a flamethrower. And you're like, cool. Got a crash helmet from a motorbike on. Mm, budget. <laughs> so I never watched it on those reasons. So John Carpenter, he said, uh, oh, I wanted a really cool name. Now, as a writer... Are you allowed to do this? And I think I sort of worked it in my head, but not for very long. Uh, and I guess you are, because Wes Craven did it with Freddy Krueger. He named Freddy Krueger after a bully yeah. uh, that bullied him at school. And Snake Plissken is a name of a guy that uh, I think one of the crew knew at school, <laughs> a high school tough guy who had a tattoo of a snake. And he's like, I love that. Yeah, yeah he was called Larry Plissken. Oh, he didn't have that. Yeah, he was called Larry Plissken, but he used to say to people, call me Snake. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, without doubt, but nevertheless, it's a great name for this character. But can you, can you just t steal? Because don't movies go, none of the people in this film are depicted as real life people. It's like, well, he is, sort of. Yeah, I mean, the boring answer is as long as it's you don't lift his life, I think you can lift someone's name. And plus, Snake was a nickname he'd given himself. I mm. think you can lift someone else's nickname. Right. And the line where they go, call me Snake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in terms of like the way this film looks, because uh, I love the way this film looks because it looks a hell of a lot more expensive than the $6 million it cost. Um, Joe Alves uh, was the production designer on this. Get a Jaws mention in. He was the production designer on Jaws mm -hmm. and Jaws 2 and directed Jaws 3. So he didn't want to shoot in New York. He said there's much to Carpenter because he was like, it'll be too hard to make it look like a destroyed city. Carpenter suggested shooting on a movie backlot. Joe Alves did not want that idea as well. He was like, no, the texture of the real street is not like a backlot. So uh, not great for St. Louis, but great for the film. Uh, there'd been a huge fire on the waterfront in St. Louis on the banks of the Mississippi. And so that happened in 1976 and it hadn't been rebuilt. So they could literally just create. They went to landfills, found loads of debris and just dumped debris over this desolate area on the banks of the river. And that's why you get this really authentic looking city, which works so goddamn well. Um, obviously, because it's not New York, uh, they had to paint the New York skyline. The guy who painted the New York skyline, James Cameron. Really? Yeah, yeah. 
He uh, he filmed it as well. He got a director of photography sort of credit for the work he did with the matte paintings. Mm, so. I've sent, I sent you some pictures ages ago of him painting those yes. matte, matte, matte pictures on the beach. And John Carpenter said that he was our resident genius, basically. So they could they could tell even then. Because he'd worked for Roger Corman. He'd worked on Battle Beyond the Stars, which was really cheap, but it didn't look that much less than Star Wars mm. by the time Cameron had finished with it. So... Yeah, genius from the word go, that guy. And uh, then pretty much uh, we're on to the fact that one of the most notable influencers, if you're a video gamer, and I have played this video game, uh, Metal Gear Solid, obviously, the character in that is totally based around Snake Plissken. Uh, and I know that because he's got an eye patch and also because I was so shit at that game, I permanently heard the voice go, what's wrong? Snake! Snake! Which happens every time you die. I mean, that feels like something you could sue over to me. Because they called the character Snake as well. Larry Pliskin might still have a case. (laughs) I'll leapfrog you, Carpenter. I'm going after the big money, the gaming money. And ironically, you're asking those questions, but but, um, Luke uh, Carpenter sued Luke Besson over the movie Lockout, the Guy Pearce movie. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Luke Besson had to pay Carpenter and Stuart Canal half half a million in damages for rip- ripping off. The plot? Yeah. Wow. Because mm. I was going to put those two together until we did this. I thought Escape from New York and Lockout would be Yeah, great. we talked about it and we just felt like it was, it was one of those weeks where it's such, such an unfair fight. Yeah. Well, I disagree because I'm a big fan of Lockout because <laughs> that's me. Uh, finally, um, they were one of the first film companies in history to be allowed to shoot on Liberty Island around the Statue of Liberty at night. And I end with that information because that is where the film begins. Anything else? That's the only shot in New York as well, Mm. from the whole movie. One shot from Escape from New York happens in New York. Got anything to add? No. No? Want to crack into this film? Yeah, let's do it. All right, then. So as I said on Monday's episode, from the get-go, I'm back in my safe zone, in my happy place. A carpenter synth score is <laughs> echoing around my living room, coming out of my Sonos speakers sponsor. Uh, original opening scene. You mentioned this on Monday, Chris. Uh, it was cut. And you said on Monday, I'm glad, it, I'm glad they cut it. I'm glad they cut the bank robbery scene. So there's an original scene, which is Snake Plissken in a future bank uh, escaping with a cash bag and he meets his accomplice and they get on the underground and they head to San Francisco. Uh, It's not established, I don't think, where they are initially. But nevertheless, you don't like this scene. His accomplice gets killed and he gets arrested and that's how he ends up going to the maximum security. Yeah, I think there's two issues with it. Um, the first time we see Snake Plissken, the most badass dude on the planet, he shouldn't be getting caught. He I should also think. not be wearing a hairnet. <laughs> wearing a hairnet. He's wearing a hairnet. He's got his big hair tucked into a baseball hat. And he shouldn't be going to rescue someone else, a, a friend. Like, this is not the guy. It gives him redeeming qualities. It softens him. Um, you could argue that it would give him the mindset to know look, to never do that again. But I think it's much better establishing him as a guy that just wouldn't do that, that is this nihilist from the beginning rather than, oh, he was sweet at the start of the movie, but but, but then changes. I think it's much better to start him as the, the dude he is. That's interesting. I sort of viewed it from the opposite. I was like, it humanises him and that's a good thing. But perhaps you're wrong. I don't think, no, you're I, right. I don't think humanising, and I think Escape from LA does it a couple of times and I don't think that's what we want from that character. Okay. Okay, well, they actually cut it because audiences found it confusing, which is like, what? <laughs> what audiences found that confusing? I don't think it's confusing, but I guess 
in terms of what you're saying, if that's what they meant, as opposed to the narrative where it fits into the story. So we get a lot of narration at the start, but not too much, V. Not too much. It's okay. Yeah? Yeah, it's all right. Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> it's a fair amount. It, I mean, I feel like they do, they do what we were talking about with Warriors or, or what they cut from Warriors. We, they, 15 minutes, there's a hell of a lot of exposition that's dumped on us, but it's required and then it stops and then we can just enjoy the story. Mm. Yeah. That's what they do here. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just the right amount. Um, they uh, There's a novelization of this, which I mentioned for a reason, but they do establish a little more, they do a bit more world building in the novel, obviously, because they can, uh, which explains about the state of America. The West Coast is a no man's land and the nation's population is gradually being driven insane by nerve gas as a result of World War Three. Can you remember, do they mention World War Three in this? I think they touch on it very briefly with the president or not. They, I think they talk about the fact that America is at war. Right. Yeah. Still at war. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That'll come into play later. I like the, I like the voice of the computer, though, because I hadn't recognised that uh, first time I watched it. It is Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, to be honest, I think that one of the most exciting bits of the film is just watching the credits with those names coming up. Because certainly if you were a movie fan in 81, it was just the most badass people in cinema. Because it's Kurt Russell, Ernest Borgnine, Lee Van Cleef, Isaac Hayes, Donald Pleasant, Harry Dean Stanton, and Adrian Barbeau. Sorry, I knew you'd like that credit sequence. I was like, <sighs> when does the fucking film start? I mean, <laughs> uh, listening to the commentary, which is very funny, Carpenter and uh, Kurt Russell together. He Carpenter says you could this belies our budget. This is a cheap opening credits because it's white on black text. It's just white on black. He said, "Yeah, we had absolutely no money for these credits." Well, it's why it feels like a Carpenter credit sequence, title sequence. Yeah, it is really like it's let like the score do the work. I think it felt. Well, this is me projecting, but was it from a time when? people didn't arrive on time at the cinema or something so it's like you've got time to get to your seat you haven't missed anything it's just names sit down in in the commentary which was done in 1994 it's funny when they're watching the names come up because they're both pissing themselves at the fact that both their ex-wives are in it yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so we're in this security HQ where uh, prisoners are loaded uh, into uh, wherever whatever they're transported to the prison in but um, there's a sign did you see the sign, Victoria? It, it said, uh, no talking <laughs> and no smoking. <laughs> Would you be shot on sight? <laughs> Could you survive? I think, you know, the film I think about a lot for this is A Quiet Place. And, you know, if you make one noise, you're dead. And I think about it every day. Mm. I wouldn't even get a breath in dead. Yeah, I just I was I flashed back to our time in the famous cock where the woman from the other side of the pub actually took the time to walk over. She was a fucking lunatic, to be fair. You can't. It wasn't like a normal person it was like, "Can you keep it down?" And you were just as loud as me. I mean, she, she didn't address Alex. No, no, because people don't. There was pick on the woman, yeah. pick on the weak one. I she, mean, when she walked away, you did say I was being loud. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's true. But also, we all agreed she was unhinged. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. were scared. She was waiting for us outside the pub. Yeah, <laughs> I was scared. Yeah, she was. But she did. She did look at Chris and I and actively say, "I'm not talking about you two. <laughs> she did, did she? <laughs> right. Uh, we get uh, that really good line, which just tells you how freaking menacing this prison is going to be, where prisoners are offered uh, the choice of being cremated there rather than yeah. go to the island. What a great little scene setter for how mean it's going to be out there. Lee Van Cleef arrives as Hulk. Uh, didn't know who he was initially. So this older guy, balding, grey hair, steps out of a limo and 
I'm like, who is this character? We haven't been introduced yet. He's got an earring. And as well as an earring, he's got a leather bracelet with studs in it, like you'd find at Camden Market. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure what to make of this guy. <laughs> and the way I processed it, and I did it quite quickly, is this guy is so good at his job he can get away mm. with dressing like that. He can break the uniform code. He can, exactly. He can peacock. Yeah, very nice. Yep. Anyway, Air Force One is in trouble. It's been hijacked by an army of liberators opposed to the racist police state. Uh, there's a man trying to break down the cockpit door to get to the hijackers. The actual son of former President Gerard Ford. Who I've referenced before. He's the, he's the pilot that Meg Ryan is seeing in When Harry Met Sally when they run into us at the airport. And I said to you guys, that's the son of Gerald Ford. Joe? Joe in When Harry Met Sally? Yeah. That's Gerald Ford's son? Yeah. Is you, he really? We literally did this not that long ago. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he's very... Like a different time. Handsome guy. Big mm. blonde guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very handsome. Yeah. Uh, uh, we meet the president, Donald Pleasance. It turns out the president of the USA is British. <laughs> <laughs> that really threw me. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, to explain it, though, Donald Pleasance came up with this m- crazy backstory uh, where it's never explained in the movie, so you didn't miss this. He wrote his own backstory, gave it to Carpenter. The story involved Margaret Thatcher and the United States reverting back to being a British colony, which is why he's wow. got a British accent. Yeah, Carpenter said that's rubbish, but if you want to use that, you can. I don't he, care. He yeah. also talked about the fact that he saw his character as the illegitimate child of Reagan and Thatcher. It's really hung up on Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Fucking love Pleasant. Pleasant. Oh. That's just to get himself out of having to do an American accent. <laughs> I've written a bunch of notes here so I don't have to try that. Uh, so uh, there's a very short rescue attempt by Hawk, uh, who, uh, which introduces us to, I'm going to say it now, the tragically underused character mm. of Romero played by Frank Doubleday and his incredible hair. He's so good because it's such an easy thing to get wrong just to be like, I'm fucking nuts, Mm. that kind of thing. And obviously David Patrick Kelly is always brilliant at it. Yeah. But he is a strong, strong second. Like He's genuinely frightening and he seems like he's capable of anything. Yeah. And all he does is sort of swagger up to Hawk and it is Hawk, isn't it? It's just spelled H-A-U-K. Yeah. Yeah. Hawk. So he swaggers up to him and you're like, Jared Leto definitely watched this before <laughs> The Joker because yeah. he's got a lot of the same mannerisms, yep. possibly taken a bit too far Same, teeth, Leto, same but, teeth, maybe. Mm. Uh, Russell actually credits uh, Doubleday's appearance here as Romero with setting the tone for the entire movie. He loves mm. his intro so much. And by this point, we've met a Romero and a Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. Which is Carpenter doing is up to his old tricks of naming characters after yeah. mates. Yeah, like the end, of, and the, the end where they both get a mention in... They live. Uh, so, Snake arrives. Uh, Hawk calls him Pliskin. Snake says, call me Snake. <laughs> oh, what's good, Alex? It is a lot. Like, I hadn't seen this film. I'd seen stills of Kurt Russell with the eye patch. Yeah. To me, I was expecting big trouble in little China Kurt Russell. Right. Ah. And I don't know why, but I just was. And I knew he would be a badass and I understood that. And he would have leggings on and bad footwear like he usually does. But fuck me, was I surprised when he opened his mouth. Yeah, well, it's as Alex said, I mean, uh, Carpenter had originally written it for Clint Eastwood. He didn't get Clint Eastwood, but Russell wanted to use Clint Eastwood's voice. He's using um, John Wayne's eye patch from True Grit. Like, he is just stealing from from all these great Western characters. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, to be honest, it was tempting to laugh 
But then I stopped laughing because sure. he sells the fucking life out yeah. of it. Agreed. So even when he's like, I'm going to take this match from this box of matches and I'm going to light this match, and this takes forever. <laughs> and it's <laughs> He can't stop going on about this on the commentary. He wanted it to be a, a self-lighting cigarette. Right. And Carpenter just, they said we didn't have the budget. They tried apparently and they couldn't get it working. So he then made a big meal of it. But no, you're absolutely right to have that feeling because right at the start of the commentary, Carpenter says, we made this movie. It's an action movie on the edge of comedy. The whole way through, we're teetering on the edge of comedy. We're just trying not to go too far. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But Russell never, never lets you in. Never sort of, there's no, there's no wink. There's no nod. There's no like... I know what I'm doing here. Yep. You're and sold on this. If you're disappointed that he wasn't more like Jack Burton, um, in about 10 years ago, they did a comic book series where Snake Plissken and Jack Burton <laughs> ride the Pork Chop Express across America fighting wow. people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, the eye patch, uh, Kurt Russell's idea, by all accounts, he was like, I want an eye patch. And Cummins was like, go with the eye patch. As I said, it was because of True Grip. Mm. It's because of John Wayne. Uh, the call me snake line that he does there is uh, very relevant because we, we we do love we do love it where a, a movie does the same thing at the end but mm. the opposite but different exactly. <laughs> but different exactly and the eye patch he also his in his head but they couldn't afford it there might be a weapon in the eye patch as well when he puts it up he might have a laser but and the novel actually provides a bit more background on the relationship between Snake and Hawk. Um, they were both disillusioned war veterans. Um, it play, the novel explains how Snake lost his eye during the battle for Leningrad in World War Three. It says that the mission was a suicide mission. The rest of his unit was wiped out. He later finds out the mission was unnecessary. His men were expendable. He finds out that his parents were murdered by the police force. So basically, this novel sets up a lot of reasons for why Snake is so angry. I don't want any of that. Why have you just told me that? Because I don't want backstory. I'm sorry. No, you know John Carpenter didn't write. You can't undo that knowledge. You know that now. It will affect your watching of this movie forevermore. I stopped listening. No, you didn't, because you heard me say that at the end. Then that you you waited to talk until after I finished. But that's interesting. Let's just unpick this for a second. So, just because you were talking about Heath Ledger Joker earlier, Mm -hmm. so when you. Um, introduced that theory about him being ex-military, uh, which is why he was good at interrogation techniques and things like that. Mm. Every, that was really interesting. But the Joker is meant to be, he's just a thing, you know, he's just a force of nature and all the rest of it. So that backstory was like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting texture. But then you get Snake, I can't say his name. Plis- Pliskin. I, say, I want to say Plixen. Plissken. But the more you know about him, the less you are on this journey. Why is that? Maybe like, I don't know. I just don't want. I don't want backstory for him written by some dude who's written a novelization. It's because he than didn't John write Carpenter. it. Oh, it's because Chris didn't write it. Well, no, it's because right. John Carpenter didn't write it. <laughs> yeah, but Christopher Nolan uh, or uh, Jonathan Nolan, who wrote Dark Knight. Anyway, they didn't write the backstory for Heath Ledger. No, no. I was just theorising. Theorising right. is fun, but when someone's put it down and you're right. stating it like it's fact, okay. just, then it's a problem. I'm just, there's a reason for me doing it because I'll come to it at the end, but if I don't do it now, it won't make the end make any sense, Chris. I'm, I'm world building here. <laughs> there's also a little bit about how Hawk uh, became warden of New York. And more importantly, Hawk's quest to find his crazed son who lives somewhere in the prison. <sighs> I missed that. No, this oh, is in the novel. It's a fucking this... book that oh. John Carpenter didn't write. <laughs> right, <sorry. laughs> <laughs> Why don't you do your novelization <laughs> podcast next week? <laughs> all right, that's all of it, Chris. You can relax. Back into the movie. Moving pictures. Back into moving pictures now. No literature. So, Snake doesn't want to go and rescue the president. Uh, we get a flavour of Snake's nihilism here. I don't give a fuck about your war or your president. Uh, 
quick exposition dump. Um, how can Snake get in? Roof of the World Trade Center, a tape recorder, a world summit at Hartford. <laughs> the, tape rec- the tape recorder stuff is nonsense, isn't yeah. it? It's, <sighs> it's, it's, it's a very basic MacGuffin, but it just makes it all a bit hazy. Mm, yeah, which is why I did all my novelization stuff. We'll come to it at the oh, end. Please Good. Don't, please no, because you're setting up questions that I'll be able to answer <laughs> later on. No. You're so excited. John Carpenter you're can so excited. No, he's get <laughs> JC on the phone. Uh, so the Hawks Suicide Squad uh, thing happens. Uh, the Suicide Squad comics had come before this, so this wasn't a new idea, and it is a great idea for this movie, but it's not theirs. Uh, what do you mean, the Suicide Squad idea? The bomb in the neck. Yeah, but he puts right. he puts the bomb, very specific bombs as well, just enough to blow out his arteries. We don't want to make it. It is mess. a shame, isn't it? Yeah, he's like, yeah. it should have been. It will blow your fucking head yeah, off. Right. But it's like, no, no one will notice. You'll just drop dead. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but they're to stop him going to Canada, <laughs> which is sort which of like... is also in Suicide Squad, so. <laughs> <laughs> and the novelization. Uh, and then in we go. We're into the prison in a glider. Disappointing, um, but it's very exciting. This bit looks great. Yeah, I, you watch this and you go, "Cannot believe this cost six million. I also love the fact that Carpenter was like, "I want three D graphics." Uh, to show the skyline of New York digital, like mm. on a screen, and they were like, <laughs> "Yeah, it's 1981." Uh, obviously, some line drawings. <laughs> they, they literally did, yeah. added green reflective yeah. tape to the model yeah. and filmed it. Oh, with really? The camera. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's yeah. incredible. It looks great. Yeah, it does. It's a hypnotic. It's so relaxing. I just, you know, you're like, wow. So, snake gets out of his glider. Um and descends to the floor, uh, ground level, and then we're into an absolutely amazing first event for him to encounter in New York. Like anyone does when they go to New York, you go to the theatre. show, yeah. Catch a show. And what a show this is. Some prisoners are putting on a musical number for other prisoners, which Ernest Borgnine is loving. Mm. <laughs> he is loving Cabby. Uh, although every time I see Ernest Borgnine, it's Airwolf for me. It always will be. But uh, but he's loving it. What did you think of this? As, as a way of introducing you to this maximum security prison, yeah. which has been built up as this like dun-dun-dun threat. Yeah. Threat. And it's some prisoners putting on a musical number. I it, loved it. I think if you don't have the budget, so your pitch is it's Escape from New York and everyone's like, great, can't wait to see those iconic New York locations. Mm. It's like, we actually can't do that because we've got no money. So the locations are pretty generic, um, but the way that John Carpenter has made the most out of generic locations um, to scare the shit out of you effectively is really impressive. Mm. The Then that's the good stuff. The bad stuff maybe for me, and maybe this is where the novelization has something to say, but it is interesting that the first bunch of people he meets would be like crazy people who have got their own level of threat, but they're not like, we are strong. We are, we've got weapons. Do you know what I mean? They're like, he walks into the theatre and there's people sort of lying around on the floor. He could easily overpower those crazy crazy people the yeah. thing is they're nuts so that's fine but it's just maybe there is a choice there about everyone in New York seems a bit crazy we're waiting to get to like the, the boss level but I was expecting maybe people that would be more even an even match for Snake Pliskin straight away you see I my feeling about it was what a curveball to throw right off the bat yeah. you, you get into New York 
And it's not that. It's not. It, they've created some sort of basic level of civilization within the prison. There's like, it's, you know, it's obviously not what's going on on the outside, but, you know, this is, they're putting on a show. They've rehearsed a number. People are existing here in some kind of life. It actually doesn't look too bad, does it? And it is interesting, the stuff earlier about would you rather be cremated on the spot or go to prison? Because mm. then when he gets there, you're like, well, you could live there. Yeah. Like, it would, you'd be all right. John Carpenter's actually playing violin as well in the orchestra. <laughs> Um, no, I like I like the fact that it kind of gives you a twist on the New York sites, as you've said. This is the show. He's gonna he's gonna get a taxi. He's surrounded by as you would be in 1970s New York pimps and gangs, and he ends up uh, seeing a fight or being in a fight at Madison Square Gardens. Effectively, like these are all yeah. the things a tourist would do yeah. that kind of happened to him on his journey. The bit where he descends from the theater uh, and goes downstairs. What on earth? It's like a survival horror video game yeah. where he descends those stairs and you don't really see it in movies very much. You see weird shit in video games like this a lot more uh, where it's just a guy silently clapping and rocking in the corner yeah. as some sort of mm. horrific kind of, assault kind of is Silent going on. Hill. Silent Hill used exactly, visuals, yeah. didn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Or any immersive theatre experience you went to yes. five years ago. And, yeah. the, and there's a dark moment where some punks are doing something to a woman who's clearly out of it and it looks like they're mm. abusing her, basically, and yeah. Snake doesn't step in to help. No. Which is a very unusual thing to see, and I think it was quite controversial at the time for them to have that in the film about their hero. Yeah, it's a really... It's one of those close-your-eyes-and-it-stays-with-you scenes, that sequence. Um, so he can't find the president. president isn't with a tracking device, uh, so he literally pulls up a chair and has a sit-down on the street. <laughs> that's a bit of a think. What is he going to do? Then the crazies appear, who've been mentioned before, mm. um, a gang that live in the sewers. They're kind of, you know, they're not really used enough here. They're kind of effective because they come out, they're like zombies, fast-moving zombies, Zombie lolloping rats. down the street. Yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you what they're supposed to be because John Carpenter said this mm. on the commentary, but he didn't get a chance to explore it in the film, so it doesn't count. Right. But in his head, he they would have been cannibals. Yeah, well, I get that vibe from when... Yeah, because yeah, um, what is season, who is character called? Girl in chock full of nuts. She is called Jen chock full of nuts. <laughs> she says they're, it's the end of the month, they need food. And then when they grab her, you're like, oh, well, obviously they're going to be eating her. So I got that. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's going to be chock full of nuts. Chock full of nuts. I didn't know that he, she was married to Kurt Russell. So when I was watching this 15-minute opening credit sequence she gets like top not top billing but she gets the and a special appearance mm. by so I was like oh this is big <laughs> and then I found out they were married and and, I, and then I had questions about that Chock Full of Nuts doesn't exist anymore as a, a chain it used to be a chain of coffee houses in um, America started off selling luxury nuts then the depression hit and then they started selling sandwiches and their famous sandwich was the signature nutted cheese sandwich made of cream cheese and chopped nuts on dark raisin bread. That sounds delicious. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, not in the novelization or the film. Just a fact, Chris. <laughs> Process That's right. that. That's all right. <laughs> um, so then we get to uh, this scene where, obviously, the girl in chock, chock full of nuts, um, it's like she's coming on to Snake, and apparently this scene was really tough to get right uh, because... They didn't feel Snake was the kind of person who would kiss her back, mm -hmm. but they didn't want him, and I'm quoting here, they didn't want him to appear asexual, which is why they killed her. <laughs> That's how they got out of it. Rather than try and work out exactly how he was going to process her trying to kiss him, they just had that moment, had her dragged down beneath <clears throat> the floor. It's strange, isn't it? Because mm. refusing a kiss doesn't make you asexual. 
That's why I was quoting. How strange. Yeah. But uh, it's a pretty nasty way to go, actually. Yeah. Thinking you're about to get it on and then getting eaten. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine that. Imagine, oh, I think I'm going to have sex. Oh, I've been eaten instead. <laughs> Imagine that. Just imagine it. Double disappointment. Is that what you mean? I'm not only not having sex, I'm being digested. Fuck's sake. (laughs) Bloody Friday night. Not what they used to be. Uh, Now, uh, I do like this scene because she says, you're a cop. And he goes, I'm an asshole. (laughs) Operating on that misguided belief that if you say you're an asshole, it makes you self-aware and therefore it's okay to be an asshole, which is what I do. I was just going to say <laughs> that. You think this who's, works? Whose belief is that exactly? <laughs> oh, uh, great moment where he runs from the crazies and shoots a human-sized hole in the wall to burst through it. I uh, <laughs> haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, it reminded me of uh, Police Academy 6, City <laughs> Under Siege, uh, where the series finally lost its way. Uh, so Cabby rescues him. And I love the line where he goes, I really had to make it uptown to catch that show. Yeah. Like he wasn't just in that bar, in that theatre by chance. He'd driven up there because he's like, I love that show. Yeah, <laughs> it is good. You make do with what you've got in this new New York. Bit of exposition now um, about the Duke. How the Duke runs this city. And we meet Brain and Maggie, Harry Dean Stanton and John Carpenter's then wife, Adrian Barbeau. Uh, she says, heard you were dead, which is um, a thing they lifted from the John Wayne movie Big Jake so this map of mines gets its mention I didn't know it was about mines until you said I really lost yeah the thread a bit mm. it's because the 69th street bridge the only way out of the city potentially is littered with mines and Brain is the only guy who knows where the mines are so he's got this map and it's like right I'm going to make a mental note of that that's going to be important mm. Turns out not so much, but at this point you're like, okay. Well, the mines are important, but the map not so much because the mines bump off a Brain. couple of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about it. You cannot have a map of mines if there's only one way through that bridge. It's a single track that the cab can go on. It's not like he can go. There's a mine up ahead. It's go. Well, I'll take the left. You've got nowhere to drive. But wasn't no? But it wasn't he drifting from either side of the road? No, depending he's, on when he's the... avoiding the cars, the burning cars. There's no way to avoid those mines. It's like Brent going. There's a mine. It's like what do you want me to do? Turn around? No, I think he's still yeah. avoiding them as well. He's, he's avoiding the cars, but he's also avoiding the mines when he, as he's driving. No, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Maybe the novelization will clear it up. So we first get to see uh, Isaac Hayes (laughs) as the Duke here when he arrives in (laughs) The Ultimate. Literally, that show was cancelled after they saw this movie. That is how you pimp a ride. It's amazing. You put chandeliers on the hood. (laughs) And a disco ball inside. (laughs) (laughs) It's the double whammy. (laughs) What do you think of Isaac Hayes as the Duke? Well, he's just perfectly cast. That's I imagine someone. There's not many people can get away being called the Duke. Yeah, but Isaac, Isaac Hayes can. As it goes on, I just wish he said more. Yeah, I, like, that's I, fair. I find it weird. Like, there's only so much menace you can exude wearing sunglasses and shooting the president for target practice without then establishing like how mean you are by what you say yeah. in conversation. Especially because we don't like the president and he's not a nice person, he's not a right. good person. And also because Snake Pliskin is not loquacious, you could have your baddie just being a bit more verbose. Brilliant. And also, how much of a villain is he, actually? Because Snake just wants to get out with the president yeah. and maybe help these people he's met along the way. 
But the Duke's trying to get everyone out. Mm. Yeah, I thought he was meant to be a hero. Yeah, are yeah. we kind of on his side? And yeah, yeah he's sort of, I, I don't know. When we get to the end, I feel like it gets a bit muddy. Uh, we meet the president now who's been caught. Uh, Donald Pleasant uh, was actually a, a prisoner of war in World War II. And he says he called on his experience for his performance in this. I'd say he does. And it's fantastic. There's little things that he does. Uh, like when Snake says, stop shaking. Yeah, really and he good. goes, I can't. And <laughs> yeah. you're like, ah, wow. And when he's firing the machine gun at the end, Carpenter said it's because he knew how to do it. He was the one showing us. Yep. So... Uh, it gets a bit wishy-washy from here, here, me here, so we'll, we'll take a break and I'll process this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This week at Sukarnov. If you're wondering how Ashwood City Football Club dealt with the news of the European Super League, then binge the award-winning mockumentary The Offensive this summer. I think a few of the players are considering taking to social media. No, fucking no. Okay, turn off the fucking Wi-Fi for all I care. Tear down the 4G mark. Patrick, you've got a Zoom call with the other 14 right now. The 14? What? The remaining Premier League clubs. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't want to talk to those fucking losers. Or if you'd rather get stuck into a comedy film podcast, why not check out Clash of the Titles? The podcast where two films with something in common go head-to-head to decide which one is better. Their latest episode saw Red Heat up against Tango and Cash. In both films, I think someone says, where did you learn to drive like that? Which no one ever says in real life. Oh, I had lessons. Uh, but a nice callback. You, <laughs> you know the bars, Matt, are you? <laughs> How many times did you take to pass? You passed first time. What about your written test? <laughs> All that... And a whole lot more at Sukarnov. 
yeah, so dawn happens. Uh, Snake wakes up uh, to find he's being guarded by the music act LMFAO. <laughs> you like that, didn't you? <laughs> they just look just like them. I was like, it's brilliant. They got the glasses. Oh. Uh, thoughts, thoughts on uh, Snake's tattoo, Vicky? Of the snake? Yeah. What? What? It's nice. <laughs> I think it's a bit disappointing. I feel like it could have been bigger, More better. More menacing? Yeah. And also, it's obviously disappearing into his trousers. I'm wondering it's where com- it goes. To his penis. <laughs> Does it? Does it? Yes. What do you think the tail of the snake is? Because his penis, yeah. That's the wrong way around. If you had a snake tattoo that went on your penis, you'd end with the mouth. This is a Eating very good the question. penis. No, it, well, heading into like where what, the cave, the snake layer. What? <laughs> Whatever. However, you want to continue the analogy of a snake penis into a woman's part. Oh, oh if I had a snake tattoo. No, if I had, not us. Don't make it about us. <laughs> no, you just did. Yeah, oh, see what you've done now. We so have where's, to your, this- where's your snake tattoo going? Where's the cave? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. I would normally give you a pass on something like this because you look a bit embarrassed. But I don't know I'm only, I'm embarrassed for us and you. You made it personal, but you don't even understand what you've made personal. So let's gloss over. That's what- true. I don't. I really, I still don't get it. <laughs> Save it for your novel. <sighs> Got really hot. I like his tattoo. I mean, if he was going to be a proper badass, obviously it'd be like right across his back, and then when he fl- it would be like a yeah, cobra, exactly. And then when he flexed his muscles, the cobra's like hood would like whoosh out. That would be amazing. A snake peeking over his belly button. Doesn't, it's just not as cool as I was. I was hoping it would be. <laughs> it's like, oh, you caught me. <laughs> I don't remember it even looking that much like a snake. It could be an eel. It looks <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's a snake. No, it looks like the kind of tattoo that people will go. Oh, but in the novelisation, it says it's an eel. <laughs> Is that an eel? Is that an eel? No, because look, I've got that, and people go, oh, you like dolphins? I'm like, it's a fucking shark. <laughs> It's a shark. <laughs> and it's off centre. It is it's meant not... to be off centre. Alex is Why? showing Vicky his wrist tattoo. <laughs> not a euphemism. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a shark on uh, my wrist. Yeah, An off centre shark. We, which we've talked about before. Well, I know. It's very cool. I could go, call me shark. <laughs> Might start doing that. <laughs> so... Shark Zay. <laughs> not, not a bad name. Yeah, see, you thought it was going to be funny and then you heard it out loud from your own <laughs> mouth and you're like, ooh. <laughs> so there's a bit of a muddled bit about here. Some prisoners wave down a chopper to show them they've got the briefcase to sort of say, hey, we've got a briefcase. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, Hawk at this point says to his guy, warm up the choppers, we're going in. Well, no, don't, aren't they saying we've got the briefcase? We want amnesty for all prisoners. Um, and you get the briefcase back, right? Or the, or or, the, uh, or you don't get the briefcase back, and we kill the president because they know that they there's 24 hours. It's a ticking clock. Fair enough. That makes more sense now. Mm. I just got, I just, it was me. There's a few things in this that do verge on comedy, and when Hawk goes warm up the choppers, we're going in. I just wanted the guy to go. We don't have to warm them up. It's just on <laughs> off. I can just turn it on, and it will be ready to go. I know you want to sound cold, but we don't have to warm them up. Uh, so, um. The wrestling match now. Mm. As I said, I saw Escape from LA first. Um, have you seen Escape from LA yet? No. Okay. So there's a basketball match in that which serves a similar purpose that I think is better than this. I didn't I, like this I, at all. I think the fight isn't very good, um, especially as I rewatched uh, Mad Max 3 when we were doing the Mad Max movies and the stuff in Bartertown and in the Thunderdome mm. is similar to this but just so much better and it's only four years later but they really... 
nailed this kind of thing. I think the fight is bad, but I also think the basketball scene is really bad in LA. No, I remember that is the only thing I remember from Escape from LA after the title win. No, because he's throwing the ball in from like 50 feet away. And it's like, what is has Snake Plissken suddenly got magical powers? Whereas here, <laughs> he's fighting a big bloke, which is believable that he might be able to beat a big bloke who clearly skipped leg day. I think the... The, the trouble is you've got, so we're going into act three, we need an obstacle for Snake. That's fine. But it's just, it, it could be anything. Thematically, unless, uh, do you go to New York and watch wrestling? Maybe, or watch a fight? Maybe. But yeah. there are loads of other thematic things you could do. But is the the baddie in the boxing ring, is he someone we've met before that Snake has wronged? Because that's a clear, easy win there where you just set him up in act one yes. and it comes back to get you in act three. 100%. Or someone that has a history with Snake because everyone in this film has a history yeah. with Snake and it can just... It can but just as be... an obstacle, you know, the, yeah. the whole thing with structure is you can't have a scene in this place that could, in theory, be anywhere else in the film and you could put that uh, fight somewhere else and it wouldn't make that much difference. Because that fight in Mad Max 3, he's fighting Master Blaster. Master, who's already been pro- properly down. established. And then the same scene in Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon's fighting Prince Baron when they're put together. Yes. And it, it does the things that you're saying that this film doesn't. I do like the fact, though, that the, the character, the wrestler character, hmm? he's got a good name. Yeah, he does. Slag. It's just <laughs> called, called Slag. Slag. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. the guy who's playing him is called Ox Baker. That would have been a good enough That's name. Great. No, let's call him Slag. Slag. Or he could be called Zangief from Street Fighter 2, which mm-hmm. he looks a lot like. Real life wrestler. Yeah, real life because wrestler. Because we know, we know our man. John Carpenter loves a wrestler. Loves a wrestler. And in this instance, uh, the wrestler loved to fight. Uh, Russell said that his stuntman uh, got such a pummeling because uh, the wrestler was going so hard. Ox was going so hard uh, that all the stuntman said to him when they swapped out was, good luck. <laughs> uh, Russell said, that day was a nightmare. Uh, he threw a trash can in my face about five times. I could have wound up in pretty bad shape. <laughs> so, yeah, Ox was uh, pretty... Uh, Pretty um pretty tough, uh, but it, this is this sounds crazy, and I, I you might know I couldn't find any verification on this, but the bit where Snake has to smash him with a baseball bat with nails in mm. that then sticks in the back of his neck presumably yeah. in his head, isn't it? Yeah, but he had to wear padding around the back of his head, and that baseball bat had nails in, but the padding was thick enough so the nails would embed in the padding yeah. and stay there. I swear Velcro was around at that mm. point. It seems like an insane risk to take because apparently Ox was terrified. Yeah, you would be. It doesn't doesn't sound real. I don't think you're allowed to do that. I don't know. It was a different time. I think that's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the fact, though, that, you know, like with the theatre show, even though we're in this maximum security prison, civilization still exists. It's like we have a fight to the death. But it's divided into rounds. So there's a round one and no weapons. Round two, baseball bats. Round three, baseball bats with nails. It gets yeah. gradually more difficult. Have fun. You've got to have escalation <laughs> in the fight. <laughs> um, so uh, then they're, they're in a cab. They're escaping along 69th Bridge. They have Brain with them. Uh, thank God, because he knows where the mines are, except <laughs> that's useless information, even though we've been told it isn't. Um, we do get some real emotion here, though. This is where I'm like, oh, that's good. I mean, first of all, Cabby dies, mm. uh, which is a little bit sad. Ign- ignominious deaths for some beloved characters in mm. this scene, isn't it? Quick yeah. fire, we lose three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Brain dying uh, is made... Uh, do you know why I love this? Because we're told early on that Maggie has been gifted to Brain just gonna say. by the Duke. Yeah. And so for the whole thing, you're like, you know, 
they seem to get on, but you're never quite sure whether she has a choice. Yeah. And yet the minute he dies and you see her reaction, and she doesn't even say anything. Just I think she just goes, brain, and looks at him and you're like, wow, you really cared about him. And in that moment, there's this flood of information about their relationship. Yeah. I found that. I mm. thought she really cared because then she picks up a gun and tries to kill sure. the Duke rather than just run away. Yeah, she pointlessly kills herself. But I get <laughs> it. She's So it's established she's given as a gift. So you are expecting her to not be into it. Yeah. But why not have a little bit of progression, just her, just the actor, just to see that actually she's, maybe she was given as a gift, but over time and all the rest of it. So that when she does that big big act at the end and she kills herself, you kind of could see it coming a bit because otherwise it's just like, oh shit, okay. You In that moment, because the whole, the, you know, it's quite quick. You just think, well, why would you do that? Why have you done that? Oh, you cared for him. Oh, but I wish I could have had a bit of a hint. Also, why is, why is Maggie annoyed with Duke that Brain's dead? Because Brain blows himself up walking onto a mine. Yes. And they're all going across the bridge at the, you know, they're all escaping at the same time. I, do, I don't feel like he's the villain in that sequence. I didn't think of that. Mm. Okay. I still found it quite effective. No, agreed. agreed. I, I found that massive emotion dump, which is what it is, because you're right, it does come out of left field. Mm. But in the same way, because you're just hit with it there and then, as opposed to sort of, you know, when you second guess a movie, you go, I bet that's going to happen. And when it does something that it hasn't that's set up, fair, yeah. sometimes the surprise pays off. Yeah. yeah. And they and and they they shot her um, death scene in, in John Carpenter's garage. Yeah, because he said... They'd made a mistake by not seeing her, showing her dying. Audiences were confused. And so they lived together. They were married. And so they went to the garage. She lay on the floor. They made it look sort of dark all around her and they got the shot. That's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Like, what, what yeah, just a, a, a nice night in. Do you want to watch the telly? No, I'll tell you what we could do. Just pop down to the garage, cover you in blood, film it. What a cool couple. Uh, she's great in this as well. Um, according to Russell, she's the only character that uh, Snake cares about other than himself. So... <laughs> This might have been me. Did anyone spot possibly the funniest unintentional visual gag in the history of cinema where Hawk finds out they're on the bridge and he needs to get down to the wall to rescue them and he picks up literally the biggest walkie-talkie in the world. It's the size of a man's torso and he has to (laughs) hold it with both hands. And I I I kept replaying it and going... But why is it so big? Kurt Russell has a walkie-talkie from earlier that's normal size. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's so funny, that moment. Um, it's like Lloyd Bridges in Airplane. So uh, there's the chase. Um, the emotion is uh, really apparent from Donald Pleasance tapping into his POW experience when he's like gunning down the Duke, his former captor, which is really good. Yeah. And uh, then we're back on Liberty Island for the denouement, uh, which has a great moment where the president says to Snake, obviously mm. his, his uh, saviour, he's like, is there anything you want? And Snake's just like, just a moment of your time. And he's all, he's all like, yeah, he's like, a lot of people died getting you out of there, or whatever. <laughs> and the president's sort of like, yeah. And Snake doesn't seem satisfied with his answer. He's given him the chance to be good. That's yeah, what he's doing. It's because it's a test. he gives the answer saying he appreciates the sacrifice while he's looking at himself in a mirror. Yeah. And it's if it's the equivalent of now when there's a school shooting in America and a politician says thoughts and prayers. Mm. He's just trotting out what he's supposed to say without meaning it. Yeah, mm. it's a stock phrase. And, and Snake knows that he does not care about anyone that's died yep. trying to save his life. And I think it's a really good moment. It is. Yeah, yeah, I've written down. It's a great moment. And 
I think John Carpenter at that point wanted Snake to flick a cigarette at uh, the president. No, Kurt Russell, because he's on the commentary, Kurt Russell wanted to flick the cigarette at the president. Ah. And JC said to him, I think that might be too much. So he flicks it kind of towards him, yeah. but not at him. Yeah, Kurt Russell wanted to hit him with his cigarette. Wow. So uh, someone on one of the fact sites needs to change your entry because it's, it's the other I've way around. N- I've noticed that a lot of the IMDb trivia is people who've listened to the commentaries because I read the trivia and then I listen to the commentary and they just slightly mishear stuff or get it slightly <laughs> wrong or not realise when people are joking about things. You know, like like um, the 10 things I hear about you, the thing about drawing the penis mm. and that David Crum- uh, the, the, the other guy didn't know how to draw, a, David Crumbs didn't know how to draw a penis. That's a joke that one of them made at a Q&A that I watched. And yet, and yet that's now a fact in all these in all these trivia places. I've told you this before. Someone did an experiment years ago where with these fact sites where they purposefully disseminated uh, the information that a, a person on average each year swallows eight spiders yeah. Yeah. in their sleep. Yeah. And it now exists ad infinitum on the internet I've as a it. fact. I've said it, yeah. I've done it. <laughs> I'll prove it's a fact. <laughs> lie, lie, lie in bed with my mouth open all night. <laughs> bring me the spiders. <laughs> bring me them. Bring me the spiders. Now bring me the flies first to attract the spiders. <laughs> and then bring me some birds after that. It's red. And then it's a red, cat to catch the birds. It's the fucking Dracula, isn't it? Is it Renfield? Renfield. <laughs> I went to Kitchen to play with. Uh, right then. Uh, so. Uh, we get our a little send off uh, between Hawk and Snake, which is just wonderful. Are you going to kill me? I'm too tired. Maybe later. Lovely. And then obviously the names Pliskin. And then this is where the novelization bit uh, I'm bringing back in, which is going to annoy you, Chris. But just bear with me. <laughs> He took his headphones off. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, a, it's a clash pod first. Whoa. Of all the things clash that have been said in this room. Oh, I'm putting one on. One on. <laughs> so the reason I bring this up is because, like, the president starts playing the tape and it's just music. It's the, the music from a, a different cassette. It's not whatever was on the tape, which was what? The, what was on the tape was the, the process for nuclear fusion. Yeah. So this was problematic for me, but you go first. No, you go first. Well, the nuclear fusion will save the world, mm. right? Nuclear fusion is being tested in a laboratory in, I don't know, something in France or Switzerland at the moment. You know what nuclear fusion is, mm-hmm. yes. So limitless clean energy will solve all our problems and all the rest of it. This tape has the code or the process for nuclear fusion and Snake Pliskin destroys it. Yep. So that... I don't need him to be a proper hero. I love the fact that I thought you were dead never pays off and he only speaks in growls and all the rest of it. But he's just wrecked everything for everyone he, forever. He wants to destroy the world. He's but had don't... enough of this corrupt system. We had one last chance when he said that to the president. That was it. He's done. He is done. He's a true nihilist, this character, because everyone he's come into contact with from his time in the army, for some reason, he's gone from being a war hero to being someone robbing the Federal Reserve. Yeah, The world is completely crushed this man yeah and this experience he's like sod it he wanted a snake he got an eel he's like that's enough I suppose See, I thought I, maybe if there was another person because the president is a bad he's set up as like a coward and all the rest of yeah. it the, the whole way through if there was another person in power you couldn't do this but like what if, if snake plays and like defected and gave the codes to a good person there are more than there's more than one power in the world 
more than one president kind of thing. So if he was like, right, I had the chance to be maybe like patriotic or like a sense of national pride, like I would like America to do this thing. So I was going to give it to you, Donald Pleasance, but instead I'll give it to this other person who's another character and therefore the world is saved, but I'll get no credit yeah. or whatever. But that's, that's the, but, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. But the nihilist thing is, is, is kind of fun. I, I like yeah. that. I just, I just don't, I'm not sure I like the way it's done in this movie compared, wait for it, to Escape from Los Angeles, which mm. is a really, really great end where he basically shuts down the country and all the lights go out around them and it's like boom visual great i love that yeah ending. i think it's a bit messy with the the cassette i think i think the tape thing is is not is not the right move it's not the right macguffin mm. but i i think he'd be a less interesting character i think he'd be less of a cult character if he had decided to save the world at the end okay. well then you won't like what the novel does with this but listen up the, the novel clarifies that the president's plan for the cassette tape is not benevolent rather than presenting to the world a new energy source in the form of nuclear fusion the tape actually reveals the successful development of a fallout free thermonuclear weapon which would grant the US supremacy in the global conflict so snake is kind of being a nihilist but also fucking the president yeah. so you get the best of both worlds i didn't, I didn't catch a word of that, yeah sorry. i thought of uh, so uh, that's pretty much it um it took 15 years uh, after this for escape from la to come out and kurt russell and john carpenter did at one point have an idea for a third film do you want to know what it was called v Escape from London. Oh, Manchester, close. Hartford. Uh, go on. <laughs> See if you can get it. Croydon. Yeah. No, interesting. Close. Lewisham. No. <laughs> no. Escape from Earth. Oh. Or Lockout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the only other thing, uh, which I, I just got quite obsessed with looking at all the concept art, there was going to be an anime. Uh, version of Snake Plissken's story, um, which was going to come out in 2005, but it went away. But the artwork looks sick. It did inspire some cool stuff, though. Italian exploitation films. Is anyone a fan of them? <laughs> um, we got Escape from New York and The Warriors both inspired a bunch of films. In we got in 1982, we got the 1990. Bronx Warriors was a movie, <laughs> Escape from the Bronx, and 2019 after the fall of New York in 1983. All these films were just complete rip-offs of both the movies we've done this week, but just sort of smushed them together. And also, J.J. Um, Abrams, um, in the production notes for Cloverfield, yeah. um, said... I loved that movie as a kid, talking of Escape from New York, but one of the things that drove me crazy is the poster had this picture of the head of the Statue of Liberty sitting in the middle of a New York street, but it was never in the movie. And I always felt that was such a crazy, scary image that it had to be in our movie. So that's how we got that. <sighs> Which is the best bit in Cloverfield. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Right then, should we do the bits? Yeah. Best scene, Victoria. Even though I said I would have liked a bit more of a equal threat when Snake arrives in New York I do think the theatre stuff is the best scene because of the sets like the the rubble the the fact that there are fire torches in a theatre the fact that they've gone to the trouble of putting a show on and it's just this weird like shonky thing it's really eerie the attention to detail with like you said the, the, the weird clap like that is fucked up mm. <laughs> I think it was very it was just in, you know intensely atmospheric 
literally word for word what I have down. That is my best scene as well. The show down to the weird clap. Chris? You touch me, he dies. You're not in the air in 30 seconds, he dies. You come back in, he dies. Uh, the way Frank Doubleday as Romero delivers those lines, this sort of insanity in his eyes, it's such a memorable moment. And like Cyrus in The Warriors, I think this is a dude taking his shot and absolutely nailing it. Tell me what you think. The MVW is Chris. Most valuable, whatever. So it's about time we said of this woman's name, uh, Deborah Hill, because she is the brains behind uh, John Carpenter's productions. They do not happen without her. She had a big say in the casting. So a lot of the actors we got in this movie that make it so great, it was down to her. And I think it's no coincidence that John Carpenter's best work happened when she was still alive and working with him. So I want to give her her due today. Nice, V. Kurt Russell, obviously. Um, it just really shocked me, and but I was re- I don't know it was just a weird thing that I was like ha look oh okay <laughs> <laughs> just the confidence sorry. that yeah I'm so sorry I'm really sorry TV yeah, let me get you a lighter actually don't just the confidence it takes to I just you know if you like you've been on film sets and like no one knows something's good at any point mm. no one knows something's going to be a hit you definitely don't know something's going to be a cult hit or a sleeper hit and yet you go to work every day and you do that without being like what the fuck am I doing <laughs> it's incredible to me to have the confidence and the vision to be able to do that Chris ah uh, so I think the fights are a bit crap in this film. Oh wait, are we still doing? Did I do mine? No. Oh no, so sorry. I don't know why you came to me? Sorry, I was. Um, I, I jumped ahead in my head. Uh, <laughs> John Carpenter um, for you know, which I think ties into yours, Chris. So I don't know whether I should be crediting Deborah Hill as well, but making six million dollars look like so mm. much more in this film. Okay, changed, uh, Chris. I think the fights <laughs> look a bit crap in this film. <laughs> um, I would like to go in and reshoot the fight scenes. I want Escape from New York, but with the action from the raid. That's what I want. Oh, that's a good that's one. That's what I want because I think it does slow. And it's because action movies were different, you know. In in the 1970s and 80s, action movies were so much slower. Uh, uh, a couple of punches were what was expected from a fight scene. And now, we, you know, thanks to The Raid and John Wick and Ong Back and all these films, we expect so much more. But, oh man, this would be so much more badass if it had just a bit more pace and excitement to the fights. Yeah, I agree. Change, Victoria? So I think when, before Snake goes into the prison, there's a, a lot of elements going on. So we've got the tape, we've got to rescue the president, but there's this 24-hour thing, and then we get the Suicide Squad neck bombs, <laughs> and it's too much. Mm. So I would do it so that Snake is already in prison, but he's just arrived, right? The president crashes in front of him. He's whisked away by the gangs, but Snake sees that exchange and realises, he sees that if you come back, we'll kill you. If you don't leave in 30 seconds, we'll kill you. So just as the good guys are leaving, he runs over and makes a deal with them and it's like I will get him out of here but you have to do this for me and that's it and then you just lose the neck bomb thing which I don't think you need much better that's really good yeah Vicky 10 out of 10 I wonder if they'd sort of already handcuffed themselves to not doing that because they'd shot that intro where he gets arrested so they couldn't then start him in the prison yeah I wonder if in hindsight once they got rid of that they'd have done your version the Crompton cut. <laughs> uh, I would probably take everything out of the novelization and try and get it in the film however however possible. Crowbar it in if necessary. There's just so much more information yeah. in that Make novelization. Make it more of an adaptation. Mm. So, yeah, I think uh, I think bring that novel to the big screen and, and that'll be great. So, verdict time. Oh, you weren't joking. No, I really like the novelization. Yeah, I read the whole thing back to back. Okay. Verdict time. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So, 
friends. Mm-hmm. Who wants to go first? Let's go to you, Alex. Um, I have problems with both these films. I think they skimp on fleshing out their characters a bit too much. I need a little more. The Duke, uh, for example, I needed a bit more about the Duke. Uh, I, I felt like I didn't know any of the Warriors very well at all. So I guess it boils down to which film appeals to my sensibilities and which central character I like the most. And that is a New York future prison and Snake Plissken mm. escape from NY. Hands down. Vicky. It's a bit closer. Um, I've yeah. gone back and forth. Yeah. I think in The Warriors, there's not enough going on because you've got this whole idea, you know, there's, the fights are a bit crap maybe. Um, and the, the concept is quite pared back, you know, get the training, you'll be fine. In Escape from New York, there's maybe too much going on, like I just said, with the tape and the neck bomb and all the rest of it. Uh, but it is, it's the same as what he said. It's the, the central performance from Kurt Russell just lifts that film into something else. And I think to, to have even that as an idea is astonishing to me that you can take all these elements. It's like, it's not just that, it's this, it's this, as in New York is a prison and blah, 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 blah. Maybe pare back a few of the ticking bombs. Um, but yeah, uh, Escape from New York. Good. We have a winner, but for the record... <sighs> this makes this much easier because, yet again, we're talking about my beloved John Carpenter, and yet again, I'm not going to pick his movie. I never oh. pick his movies. Because <laughs> while I love the premise and the look and the central character and the performance from Kurt Russell, there's just some magic in The Warriors that I can't quite put my finger on. I think it's a really special combination of all these disparate elements that come together for a really special film. So I'm shocking myself here by going for The Warriors, but I'm really glad to Escape from New York one. <laughs> I'm sure you went for Big Trouble in Little China versus The Golden Child. Oh, I did. I did. But okay. then I, I, I went, I didn't go for They Live and I didn't go for the thing. So Yeah, that was a mistake. Was, this thing. Yeah, Flipping it. The thing versus weird. The Hateful Eight. Jeez. Yeah. All right. All right, then. So we have a winner. Escape from New York is our winner on Clash Pod this week and a worthy winner it is too. Congratulations. Obviously, the poll will be going up on Twitter. If you do enjoy voting in the poll, uh, you can vote for which your favourite is. The poll is going up soon. Uh, right. Uh, that is us done for this week, but let's look ahead to next week. V, remind us what the clue was and what films are we doing next week? <clears throat> the clue was short dick energy. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, and that means <laughs> that, Alex, you are watching Total Recall. Yes! Yes. And Chris, you're watching Minority Report. Lovely, lovely. Total Recall versus Minority Report. That is your homework for next week's Clash. Oh, it's going to be a good one. Is there any reason why we're doing those movies, Chris? There is. Mm. It's Spielberg month on the pod. We are doing a Spielberg film and a non-Spielberg film next week and a Spielberg film and a non-Spielberg film the week after. Then to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark, we're doing all four Indiana Jones films across two weeks, picking our favourite at the end. What? We're doing a Clash Pod quadrilogy? Quadrilogy. Good word. And we want your help. So tell us which indie movie is your favourite and why, either by email to show at clashpod.com or by responding to the tweet I'll try to remember to pin at the top of our Twitter page. And also, if you have any special memories of watching the indie movies, send them over because we've got our own memories and we'll share them all on the show. We'll read out your favourites across all four episodes. Crystal Skull for the win. <laughs> yeah, please send over memories, good memories of that, because that might be a shorter episode. We might need them, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, uh, if you haven't already subscribed to us, this is my goodbye. Please do uh, on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Clash Pub back Monday then, talking total recall. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.